All right. How many of you guys are excited for Easter this year? Amen. Amen. Well, uh, our staff's been working. We've got a lot of volunteers that are working hard to get ready for that. And we're excited about Easter. Uh, but you guys have a role to play in this. And so this is what I want to do. And I, I did this at first service. If you got one of these around you, please grab one of these. Uh, I'd love to have at least one for every family, every family unit. Uh, but I want you to take this. And during the service, what I want you to do uh, and we gave these out last week. And if you need to get another one to invite somebody else, we've got more that we can get you at the Welcome Center if we need to give you more. But uh, what I'd like you to do with the one that you have right now is during the service, I want you to pray and ask the Lord to put a name of a person on your heart uh, that, that you want to invite to come to one of our Easter services. And, uh, and just as the service goes on, you don't have to put a lot of their information. You just put a first name if you want to. But I'd encourage you, I want you to write it somewhere on that card just somewhere on there. And when the service is over, we've got these boxes that are back here on the walls and outside in the, the hallways. I want you to just take that and I want you just to drop it in there because we want to be praying and agreeing with you that those, those names, those people that you write down on, on these cards, um, that they be able to come to an Easter service and encounter the love of Jesus and encounter the message of the gospel. And uh, will you guys do that for me? Will you do that? So just during the services, just ask the Lord, just put... To drop, you may already know who that person is. You may already know who the name is. And go ahead and write on there. And then after service, just drop it in those boxes back there. Uh, because we want, to, we want to fill this place with people. Um, but we, don't, we want to fill it with people that need the message of Jesus. And, and you guys can help us to do that. And that is a lot what the next two weeks are going to be about in this new series, Sunday Best. Uh, over the next two weeks, we're just going to be talking actually on the subject of evangelism. The, the title of today's message is A Heart for Evangelism. Uh, another way that you could say this is a heart for souls. Just a heart for souls. And do we have a heart for souls? Uh, some of you might have been raised in church. Uh, some of us, we went to church more periodically. Uh, some of you, you may have only gone to church for Christmas an Easter. Okay. How many of you growing up for the most part, you didn't go to church that much, but you went to church Christmas and Easter. Anybody in here? Okay. A few folks. Okay. We called you the Christers, uh, cause you only went during Christmas and Easter and, uh, and, or we call them the, the CEOs, Christmas, Easter, and other major holidays. Those that you would come to church for those times, like mother's day, that type of thing. But for the most part, you didn't come to church. And then there's some of us, man, Every time the church doors were open, we were going to be there. Like we were there Sunday morning, we were there Sunday night, and we were there Wednesday night. And, and for those of you that were like that, if you were in church, every time the church doors are open, we would say that your parents had a drug problem because they drug you to church every single time the church doors were open. And for all those people, you understand like church is different now. Like this service, we're going to be done in about an hour. But there was a lot of churches, man. You went to church, you were there all day long on Sunday. Like you take a little break in the afternoon maybe, but you were back at church Sunday night. And you were church all Sunday night, long services. And then after Sunday night service, an amazing thing happened in the fellowship hall because it was potluck time. Come on now. Now, potluck, if you, were grow, if you grew up like that, potluck, if we're just being honest, was the favorite time of the week for every young person. It's like, it's, it's the salvation. And, and we love potluck. But here's the deal. You had to know this. You had to know this. And anybody that was raised in church, you know how this goes. If you're going to go to the potluck, you better show up early. Show up early because that church lady fried chicken is not going to last too long. And you better get in there and get you some quick because it's going to go quick. But whether or not you grew up going to church periodically or you grew up going to church all the time, you are familiar with this phrase, Sunday best. Your Sunday best. Now, most of the time it referred to wearing your best clothes, right? But it also referred to putting on your best attitude. Another way you could say it that's not quite as positive is put on your best front. When you're getting ready to go to church, you better not be real. You better not go to church just showing how you really are and what your week really looked like or how the car ride to church actually went that morning. You better put on 
your Sunday best. And I, I'm thankful that as we've grown in maturity, as the church has progressed, that we've learned and we've come to the realization and, and the real revelation that God is not interested on just what is seen on the outside. He's much more interested on what is happening in the heart. And I'm thankful that we're in a place where we as a church understand like you can have everything together on the outside and be really messed up on the inside. And I've, I've met a lot of beautiful Christians that had really ugly hearts. And I'm thankful that we've come to a place now where we see like, hey, God, God wants to see your heart and he wants, he wants you to be able to be real and authentic and just come to church. And I think as a result of that, one of the things that's happened is it's made church more casual. Like even in our dress, how many are thankful that we can be a little more casual in our dress when we come to church, okay? I mean, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, we're certainly like that as a church and I think that that is great. I think the problem is when we also are very casual in our faith. I think when we get casual about eternity and the ramifications of eternity, that's a problem. And I think sometimes what happens is we allow our casual approach and being able to just show up at church and come as you are, and maybe we've gotten also casual in understanding the urgency we need to have about the kingdom of God the urgency of the message of the gospel. And as a result of this, I think a lot of us just don't reach out anymore. I think a lot of us have, have stopped even looking for opportunities to invite people to church, to share our faith, to share our story. So what we wanna teach on right now is like, hey, God has called us all to minister. God has called us all to be a part of evangelizing people. God's called us all to do that. And how do you do it, but do it in a way that is authentic, where you get to just be you and be real, but that it can have an impact on people. So today I'm gonna to talk about why it's important that we all have ownership in this. And next week, we'll talk more about how. There's this verse in Proverbs 11.30. It says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Okay, so here's the deal. We've talked about this before. It's not your righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness in you. But when you're living in Christ's righteousness, then it produces fruit. It produces the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is produced in you, not just for you, but it is primarily produced for the glory of God and for those that are around you. But what can happen sometimes is you can become a Christian and you're, you can begin to produce fruit in your life and that fruit is just falling to the ground and it's never getting to someone else. And so it says that the fruit of the righteous is life, but it goes on saying, he who is wise, how many of y'all wanna be wise? Seven of you want to be wise. <laughs> I think I've identified our issue. Some of y'all will never raise your hand in church no matter what I ask you. But I would assume that more of you than that want to be wise. Wise people win souls. Wise people win souls. Now, so there's a lot of thoughts that might come to your mind when we talk about the subject of evangelism. Like, what does that mean? Uh, there's some preconceived notions, and some of them, honestly, they can make me nauseous. Just thinking about some of the ways that people, even today, are still trying to evangelize people. In reality, they're doing more hurt than help. Radio ministry. Okay, that, that might come to your mind when you think about evangelism. I do want to just give you a heads up. If you're ministering to someone right now, now is not the best time to point somebody towards Christian radio because they're doing a pledge drive right now. And, uh, and I'm afraid that if you point somebody towards Christian radio right now, it's gonna turn them off to being a Christian more than it's gonna turn them on to being a Christian. So give it a couple of days before you would refer somebody to that. But radio ministry, bus ministry, come on, we've seen some amazing ministry over the years be done through bus ministry where we've just gone into communities and pick people up in buses and then bring them back to the church and do ministry that way, but it may not be the most relevant way anymore. Door-to-door -door ministry, now we still have people that do door-to-door -door ministry and a lot of times those are the people that you try to pretend like you're not home when they come around. 
Like, just turn off the lights. Everybody be quiet. They'll go away eventually. Uh, but door-to-door ministry, man, that, that's some gutsy ministry for sure. Christian television. Don't want to talk too long about that. I think there's some good, but there's not so good things that can happen with Christian television. The perception that they give of who Christians are. Crusades. How many of y'all ever went to some big tent revivals and crusades growing up? And crusades are still happening. I have a friend that I'm in communication with in Pakistan, and the Spirit of God is moving. That's a predominantly Muslim country. He's showing me pictures of tens of thousands of people that are coming together in these crusades, and the Spirit of God is moving, and people are getting saved and healed, and it's, it's amazing. How many of you ever got exposed to tracks, gospel tracks, growing up? I've used gospel tracks. Actually, one of my first missions trips into China, we, we took tracks and we did track bombing and have a lot of fun stories from that. But I uh, also know that man, some people have been burned by people using gospel tracks. There's a study done a long time ago, and I don't know that it's even true anymore, and I certainly hope it's not true in our community, that the number one time that people who work in the food industry, primarily in serving, the number one time that they do not want to serve are the hours right after church service. And I heard horror stories of people, instead of giving a tip, that they would give a gospel track instead of a tip. How many of y'all know that person probably didn't get closer to Jesus? I don't think that's true in our community. I hope it's not true. But tracks have had their place. The, the, the point is this. The methods of evangelism will change. But the gospel never changes. And the gospel still needs to go forward. I want to talk about three myths of evangelism. The first one is this. You must be a professional. You must be a professional. For years in America, decades, maybe even a couple hundred years, there's this perception that the pastor does the ministry. And so the pastor's the one that opens the doors on the church. The pastor's the one that does the hospital visits. The pastor's the one that goes and visits people when they have babies. The pastor's the one that does all these things. And it's created this perception that the people that do the ministry are the people that are paid to do ministry. That's the perception. And as a result, there's a lot of people not doing any ministry because they don't, just don't think it's their job. And because of this, people have a tendency to put pastors on a pedestal. Default to pastors on everything. It's not uncommon. When I go to hang out with extended family, we'll be standing around, it'll be time to eat, and everybody just stares at me. Like, come on, big boy, do your job. And I'm just like, I just, just want to be a part of the family. I'll be at weddings or funerals, and all of a sudden people start calling me reverend. I'm like, where did that come from? Like, <laughs> reverend? Y'all laughing because none of y'all call me reverend. But people's context, the way that they see pastors, but the work of evangelism and ministry is up to all of us and has to be shared. In fact, my number one job is to equip you for the ministry, not for me to do all the ministry. Another myth, you must have a platform. You got to have a platform or a pulpit. Like, that's the way that you do evangelism. Here's the deal. Evangelism happens in the church. It happens in this church every weekend. Every weekend, people get saved in this church. Every single weekend. But the problem is, we've limited it to that. We think we've got to get people to church. We've got to get them in this building in order for them to get saved. And it's just not the case. God wants to use you where you are. And wherever you are, that is your platform. God has given you a platform. In fact, you have influence that other people don't have because you have friends that other people don't have. And you have careers that other people don't have. And you go to a school that other people don't go to. So if I could be so bold, I just want to brag on my, my daughter, London, for a second. Because a couple of months ago, we were at her, her school, and I don't remember why we were there, but we were, we were walking with her back to her classroom, and we saw this young lady who was upset. And 
she was crying, and so we asked her, hey, what's going on? And she wouldn't tell us. We say, hey, do you mind if we just pray for you? And she, she let us pray for her. And so, but then London, a few days later, she, she followed up with this girl, and, and, and she just gave her some Bible verses just to encourage her. And she found out that this young lady didn't have a Bible. So her and her friends said, hey, what if we started a, like just a little club in our school, student-led club, because it's got to be that way, that, that we could just make it available for any of the students that don't have Bibles, that we could get them Bibles. What if we did that? So they emailed the principal, and the, and the principal said, yeah, as long as it's done by you guys and student-led, then I'll give you permission to do that. And then after that, London started emailing a couple of organizations that provide Bibles. She did all this on her own. I proofread the emails before she sent them, but other than that, she did all, all of it on her own. And she wound up emailing the Gideons. Well, a couple of weeks ago, because it was initiated by her and because she got permission from the principal, the Gideons were able to come into the school and they handed out over 900 Bibles to students at her school. And I know what you're thinking, and you're right. Cody is an incredible parent. She does an amazing job with our children. And the point is this. She just used her platform. She didn't do that because she's a pastor's kid. She did that because the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwells inside of her. And she's just trying to be obedient to what he asked her to do. Just use the platform that God has given you. Another myth, you must be perfectly prepared. You must be perfectly prepared. I know this hits a lot of people's hearts and minds when it comes to sharing their faith. They're like, oh, I ain't a preacher. I never went to the cemetery, I mean the seminary, to get educated. I, I never learned Greek and Hebrew, and I don't know every context of Scripture. I can't talk like Pastor James talks. Just so you know, I started somewhere. But a lot of people feel like, man, and, and here's the deal. I like to be prepared. How many of you like to have a plan? Anybody like to have a plan in here? The people that really like to have a plan, you're not gonna raise your hand right now because you weren't planning on raising your hand. You don't wanna do anything you weren't planning on doing. It just throws you off. It's like, no, 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 I ain't raising my hand. I didn't know I was gonna have to do that. Don't ask me to do that. I get that. The problem is this, and you may say, hey, I want to be used by God. The problem is you will never be completely prepared for everything that God's going to do. Because he's God and you're not. And, and he just shows up sometimes and wants to do stuff on the fly. Like this first service this morning. I mean, we had most of our electricity off except for a, a few lights, but we, the sound system wasn't working, so we just did acoustic worship, and, and then I had to yell at people for a while because I didn't have a mic. But, we, but, but here's the thing. Like, I believe that God used that. I believe that he moved. I, I kind of feel sorry for you guys that you weren't here the first service because it was pretty cool. But <laughs> you can't, I certainly wasn't planning on that. You can't always be perfectly prepared for everything that God's gonna do. He just wants you to be willing. It says this in Matthew 4, verse 18. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Gal Galilee hello, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show. Everybody say show. I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. This is something that you learn as you go. This is something that you learn on the job. But these guys started doing the ministry right away. They didn't know how to do it, all right, all perfect. They, didn't, they weren't Jesus. They were just willing. And the most important part of that scripture is that they just dropped their nets and were willing. I'm not asking you to quit your job but the Holy Spirit's asking you just to be willing. Be willing. You don't have to be totally equipped and, and prepared. You just, you just need to be willing. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a ministry. 
Because if you have a relationship with Jesus, then he is pouring himself into you. And eventually you should be filling up and overflowing. And your ministry is just simply allowing yourself to be put in proximity to people that you can flow over into. But you can trust him to give you what you need. You just got to be willing. Romans 10 says this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you have been made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew, Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is where it comes to us, though. But how can they call on him to be saved unless they believe in him? And now how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? And how will anyone ever tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And this, this next story is not in my notes, but I shared the first service. I'm going to share it again. Many years ago, I was on a mission trip to Papua New Guinea, and I got malaria. And, uh, and I didn't know I had malaria. I thought I had, like, food poison or something. But I had excruciating lower back pain. I was running a fever, but I was just out of it. And we got to this village in the middle of nowhere, and, and uh, we were supposed to do ministry there. But I was just, I was just barely able to walk around. But we... We gathered outside and, and my team went and did their presentation and shared some testimonies and did some dramas and stuff. But then after that, the, the kind of the chief, the leader slash pastor came to me and said, hey, we need you to preach. And I said, I don't think you want me to preach right now. He said, no, you don't understand. In our culture, you're the leader. And if you don't get up and preach, they're not gonna respect anything else that anyone else on your team says because they know that you're the leader. I'm like, I don't wanna be the leader. <laughs> And I remember standing up and I'd had my hands, my head buried in my hands pretty much the whole time. And I did not realize that this huge crowd had gathered. And there was a generator with one light bulb and, and I could just see, it was just a, a, a sea of, of black faces. In Papua New Guinea, they're primarily black. And over a thousand people were there. And I was taken back and, and the, the, the pastor leader said, hey, People have walked hours to be here. And after he said that, at, from that moment until the moment I sat down, I don't remember anything that happened. I just remember looking at my watch and I'd been speaking for about an hour. But I don't remember anything. I don't remember any of it. I just remember I got ready to sit down and then I saw Dozens and dozens of people working their way through the crowd to come down for an altar call that apparently I had given but did not remember giving it. The next day, before you would leave a place, one of their customs is they give gifts to people, give gifts to the ministers. And so we were at their little church building and there's about 300 people there and they were following through and giving us gifts. And I'm just hanging onto the shoulder of the guy next to me, barely able to stand up, not doing well. And the last person in the line was this pastor, this leader. And through the translator, he told the, the group of people that were there, he said, I'd already made the decision in my heart that I was going to quit this ministry. I was going to quit this church. I was going to go back to the city. I was getting discouraged because we were never seeing God move. I wasn't ever seeing people get saved. I was never seeing people get ministered to. And I was discouraged and I was getting weary. And then last night, I got to see the Spirit of God move again. And I responded to the altar call because I needed to get my heart right and to trust God again and to allow him to breathe new life into me so I could continue to do the ministry. And then he, in front of these, these people, he, he got down on his hands and his knees and he bent down and he kissed my feet. It's a little awkward. But then he quoted that scripture. How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. The truth is there are, there's some of us, if we stopped and we remembered, if we thought long enough about the time when we were away from God and someone came and brought us a word 
Somebody come and came and invited us to a church service. That we would be overwhelmed with that gratefulness, like that pastor was. Of just thank you, God, that you sent somebody. But you don't have to be perfectly prepared. I want to give you three timeless truths about evangelism. The first one is this. Eternity is real. Eternity is real. This is not a game. Hell is real. Heaven is real. And I don't want to get heavy and I don't want to go fire and brimstone on you, although some of you would love that right now. But the truth is some of you have been hurt by people who preach like that. That literally just try to scare the hell out of you. And I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to let the scripture speak. One of the most famous verses, people that are saved and unsaved alike can probably quote this verse. John 3, 16. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We know that, but we've got to keep reading because there's more. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The truth is, eternity is in every single person's future. Every person has eternity in their future. We know that as believers, we're going to receive a glorified body. How many guys are excited about that? Come on. We don't have to put up with allergies. We don't have to put up with the flu, all that stuff. But you know what? Everybody's going to receive a body including the people that are going to spend eternity separated from God in hell. This is a real deal. My question is, do we have a sense of urgency about the realness of eternity, the hope of heaven, the severity of hell? But the good news is this. Number two, people are open. People are open. People are open to Jesus. It's Christians that get in the way. I find typically speaking, like I talk to people like they're open to Jesus. They're just really confused and put off by his followers. Like, oh, man, Jesus, I would, he seems like a great guy. It's just very contradictory to what I've seen from a lot of the people that say that they're his follower. People are open to Jesus. Matthew 9, 36 says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I want to stop there because I think one of the issues that we have now is we have lost compassion. We've lost compassion. When was the last time you were broken for the lost? What do I mean by broken? I mean, you were ruined. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't continue to do what you had been doing because the reality of the people that were lost and going to hell around you overwhelmed you. When's the last time you were broken? When was the last time you had that kind of compassion? When was the last time that you sent one of your students that's in high school into our high school and had the thought, man, we, we have the second largest high school district in the state. I don't know if this stat is right, but I think it's around 7,000 students between eighth and 12th grade that are in our community. And what you may not know is this, that as far as we can measure, there's only about 1,000 of those students that are actually involved in a local church. There are 6,000 students between 8th and 12th grade that are not connected to the body of Christ at least. And I'm not going to assume they're all going to hell. I'm just, I, I can make the assumption that because they're not connected to the body of Christ, they're at least struggling in understanding who they are in Christ. 
that should mess with us. At one point or another, I think it's a good prayer for you to have where you say, God, will you please give me a compassion for the lost? I want to I see my community. I want to see my place of work. I want to see my school. I want to see my neighborhood. I want to see my neighbors the same way that Jesus looked out into that multitude and was overwhelmed with compassion because they didn't have a shepherd. He said to the disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Listen, that's good news. He's in charge. He's in charge. He's got a plan. He wants those people to get saved. He's in charge of them. Nobody wants them to get saved more than he wants them to get saved, but he needs willing vessels. He's just saying, if you trust the God who's in charge of the harvest, but pray that more workers will go and do the work. Pray that more people will see the harvest and want to go and gather the harvest. Pray for that. I'm not saying that all people are open because not everybody's open. You can think of somebody right now, you're like, I know they ain't open. I know they're not open. Don't, don't be motivated by fear. Don't be motivated by fear. Don't be motivated to or not do something because of fear. That's not from God. But all of us can probably think of somebody. It's like, man, I just know I've tried and they are not open to it. But I will say this, there are so many people that are. I experience this all the time. It's one of the reasons why I've got an office here at the church, but I'm always, almost never here at the church. I'm almost never in my office. I use that office every once in a while for counseling, but I love to be out in the community. That's why I'm at I'm at coffee shops around the community because I love being in there and I love, before I go into that place, I say, God, if you would just set up a divine appointment, just bring somebody across my path that I can encourage today or may not even know who you are that I can have a spiritual conversation with. I have led people to Jesus in the middle of coffee shops. I want to be there. That's the reason why I, I, I like being out in, in the community. Because I know people are open and willing. But God is softening people's hearts. God is moving in people's lives, whether you can see it or not. A long time ago, I went to Romania. And when we got to Romania, almost like as soon as we got into the country, when we met with our contacts there in this pasture, he just immediately started telling us, hey, just so you know, people are not very open to the gospel here. Don't be surprised if people don't respond to the gospel. Don't be surprised if people don't get saved while you're here. And we're just like, wow, thanks a lot. This is really encouraging. I'm glad we spent thousands of dollars and flew across the ocean to come over here to find out how ineffective we're going to be. Thanks so much. This is awesome. This is great. But the truth was this. As soon as we got out and we were in the streets and we were in city squares and we would, we would share dramas and we'd share testimonies and we'd have spiritual conversations with people. We were seeing people getting saved all over the place. So I went to the pastor and said, what are you talking about? He said, oh, well, we never do this. What I'm saying is people never get saved in our church. Some of us are way too comfortable in these four walls. Some of us, I don't know if it's fear or insecure, whatever it is, but people are open if we're just willing to engage them. You don't have to have it all together. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, he has made everything beautiful in its time and he has also set eternity in the human heart. Every person, every person, You don't have to be able to preach at them. You don't have to know all the verses. This is how most of the conversations go that I have. Hey, how you doing? I'm James. Hey, do you go to church anywhere? Oh, no, I don't go to church. I don't like church. Oh, well, do you mind me asking why not? Like, why don't you like church? Well, I'll... my grandma and grandpa drug me to church every single weekend. My parents never went to church, but my grandparents would drag me to church every single weekend. But I'll tell you what, man, that preacher was mean and he was judgmental. And he told me that I was a sinner and he told me I was probably going to hell because I had a couple of tattoos. That's why I don't like church. I said, well, I wouldn't like church either. Well, I go to a church where we're nothing like that. 
We're the opposite of that. But in spite of church, man, I just want to let you know that I felt like the Lord had just told me to just ask you that question and just engage in conversation with you. If nothing else, just so you know, he loves you. He loves you. He has got a plan for your life. And in spite of what you've seen or what you've heard or your perception of church, you can be mad at church, but please don't be mad at God. God still has a plan for your life. And I just wanted to let you know that he loves you. and He still would love for, for you to know who he is and, and understand your purpose in him. That's it. And then I drop the mic and walk away. We've way overcomplicated this. We've way overcomplicated this. But the truth is this, the responsibility is ours. The responsibility is ours. The responsibility is ours. How many of you hate waiting? Let's just be honest. Come on, you may need to come down to the altar after service. We just, I hate waiting. I hate waiting rooms. I hate waiting in traffic. I hate waiting behind somebody in the fast lane. I hate waiting. I hate waiting on my kids. I hate waiting on my wife. It's really good that we come in two different cars on Sunday morning because I get to get here when I need to get here. She gets to show up whenever she wants to. It's probably helped our marriage. It certainly helped this church. I promise you that. Like, I, just because I don't like to wait. God's still working his sanctification into my life, and you can have patience and grace with me. But I don't have patience and grace. I don't like to wait. Me no likey. Somebody's waiting on you. Somebody's waiting on you. They may not know that it's you they're waiting on, but they are waiting on you. And I find that if nothing else, one of the sins that a lot of people struggle with within the body of Christ and within the church is the sin of avoidance. It's the sin of avoidance. It's the sin of just, uh, I'd rather just not. sin of avoidance. But it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility because we cannot separate our getting saved from our being sent. They're synonymous. They're supposed to happen together. Second Corinthians 5, 18, it says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he is committed to us. Everybody say me. He's committed to, say me. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That word reconciled just means to be brought back to friendship after estrangement, to be restored. All right, this happens. All of us at one point or another have needed reconciliation in our life. All right, we've needed reconciliation. It could be something really, really serious that we need reconciliation about. Like your husband recorded over one of your HGTV shows because you love Design on a Dime and you cannot believe that he recorded over it with a turkey hunting show. You need to reconcile. Come back together. Get your relationship right. You know, confess some stuff. Get some healing there. All of us need reconciliation. The reality is that people are away from God. They just need to be reconciled. They're already his kids. They're already his sons and daughters. They just don't know it. They are estranged from their father. They need somebody to come and let them know, hey, 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 this is your father. You may not have known it. You may not have realized it, but this is your father and you need him. It's our job to reconcile people. It says in Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning this, all of us were flatlined spiritually. We were dead. When you're flatlined, guess what? It's gonna take somebody else to revive you. And God's calling us to be the hands and feet of Jesus to go and revive people. 
say, hey, pop, come back. <laughs> there is life. You can live. You can have peace. You can have joy. You can have the hope of heaven. But you can have the kingdom of God active and working in your life here now as it is in heaven. That's what he's called us to. An ambassador is this official representative on behalf of one's country. That word appeal, it comes from the Greek word perikaleo. It means to beseech, to beg, to plead. Like how passionate are we about communicating people's need for Jesus? Anybody ever gotten stuck on one of those calls from someone trying to sell you a vacation package? Anybody ever gotten on one of those calls? I have a really strong personality, but I have gotten stuck on one of those calls. I've gotten stuck on one of those calls because every once in a while you get like this really nice person, you know? And they're just so, they're just like, hey, you know, I understand and I'm not trying to annoy you, but I just want to let you know that you could have five days at this amazing resort for free and then after that go on a cruise. And I know because you have four kids and you're busy, you need a vacation and I want to give this to you. But you have to take it today. As soon as you hang up with me, you won't be able to get this ever again for the rest of your life. You've got to have this. And one of the most embarrassing things that I will ever confess in church is I have bought one of those vacation packages. <laughs> and I have paid for the consequence of that sin ever since because they shared my information with other people that would like me to buy things. And so I have a running, I can get to block caller on my phone quicker than any person you've ever met in your life because I'm constantly getting these calls. But the point is this, the message of the gospel should be much more appealing and necessary than a vacation package. And how passionately and compassionately and desperately do we have it in our heart that people would get this. Like, please don't miss this. Please, you don't understand. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know. You don't know when you're going to take your last breath. You don't know when Jesus is going to return. You don't know. And if you're away from him, you'll be separated from him forever. And I'm not saying that these are the conversations you have with people, but maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit just tells you, you just got to lay it out. Lay it out like that, but I'm saying this should be the position and posture of our hearts to say, please, 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 this could be your last chance. This could be it. This could be God's moment for you. This could be the time that God is saying, hey, I'm here, I'm knocking. If you'll answer, I'll come in, I'll be with you, but I'm knocking. Do we have that kind of responsibility about our faith? In Mark chapter two, there's this story of this crowd that had kind of trapped Jesus in this house. And there's these four friends and they're bringing the one of their friends that needs to, to encounter Jesus, needs healing. They can't get through the crowd. And so they're desperate to get him to Jesus. So they climb up on the roof. This ain't their house, it's somebody else's house. They start tearing apart the roof so they can lower their friend down into Jesus's presence. Every person on the planet needs friends that are willing to go to that extent to get them into the presence of Jesus. And I believe that God has positioned you around people that are desperate and in desperate need of that kind of friend. And you're the friend that'll do anything, go to any extent and any length to try to get them into the presence of Jesus. Because here's the most important question maybe I could ask today, who brought you to Christ? Who brought you to Christ? Maybe somebody invited you to church. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was at a church camp or a Christian concert. Somebody brought you to Christ. How thankful are you? How thankful are you for that person that didn't separate their getting saved from their responsibility to be sent? How thankful are you that God used them and that they were willing and obedient I, I, I've shared, I got saved at a Christian rock and roll concert in 1987, and it was bad. And I mean like that in a good way, like it was bad, like it was bad to the bone. Like these guys were singing, it was just simple. They would sing songs like, love God, hate sin. I'm like, simple enough, I like that. 
But as the 80s, long uh, mullets and lots of bright colors, and it was just, and the, this guy, it was a band called Mylon and Broken Heart. That the My, Mylon was the lead singer's name. And he was this guy that had gotten radically saved, but he was a drug addict and he was just in the music industry, but he'd done so many drugs, it wasn't uncommon. I went to a lot of his concerts at at any given point during one of his concerts, he would just forget the lyrics of one of the songs that he wrote. And sometimes he would just shut it down and just say, the reason why I can't remember the songs, the the lyrics of the song I'm singing is because I did so many drugs, I I fried my brain. I can't even remember stuff before I came to Christ, but he's given me a purpose and he's healed me. And even though I can't remember, lyrics to songs anymore he's still using me and then he would just open the altars and people would would come down and at seven years old I marched myself down to the altar and I gave my heart to Jesus a while back thank goodness for Facebook in some respects because I was able to to find him I found Mylon and he's still doing ministry he's traveling around he's not doing music he's a little old for that but but he he's still traveling around he speaks to churches and I message him and and, I, and re, the main reason why I messaged him was to thank him, but also I, I was embarrassed. I couldn't remember the date of my salvation, uh, and which is kind of cool to know that. Like today, we're celebrating London's anniversary of when she got saved. I think it's cool to remember that kind of stuff, but I couldn't remember the date. So I was like, I'm gonna reach out to this former druggie and see if um, he can remember. <laughs> uh, I just asked him, I said, hey, did you guys keep records of, of your tours? Like, did you keep records? Because I, I know the city and I know about the, the time, but th- if you kept a record, you, maybe you could help me to track down the actual date that you were in Farmington, New Mexico and did a concert and I got saved. And he's like, bro, we didn't keep track of nothing. In fact, we got in trouble from the IRS because we weren't even keeping receipts or nothing. We were just, we were just doing rock and roll and, and, you know, and, and trying to preach the gospel. That's all we were doing. I mean... And I was like, well, that's okay. But the biggest reason, I just wanted to thank you, sir. Thank you, sir, for being obedient and willing. It made a pretty big difference in my life. It's made a pretty big difference in my kids' lives. It's made a difference in a few of my friends that gather together at a church every weekend. It's made a difference. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Somebody needs you to be a Mylon for them. Somebody does. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I just want to give anybody an opportunity. You may not have come here with a plan of of much of anything, so maybe just checking this out. Or some of you, you, you didn't want to even be here, but I believe you're here for a reason. And I think for some of you, the reason is this. The reason is you actually haven't surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never confessed him as your Lord and Savior. And if you're here today and you've never done that, I just want to give you a chance to do that. And you may be one of those people that you you grew up in church your whole life. And so you felt like, man, you know, I did the prayer at one point or another, but here's the deal. I'm just asking you to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. You just know, you'll, you'll know it in your heart whether this is something that you need to do or you need to rededicate your life. And so here in a second, I'm gonna ask you just to be bold enough to raise your hand if it's you. You raising your hand doesn't get you saved. That's not what gets you saved. We've already read the scripture says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. And so you can make this, this personal decision right now, but it's never meant to be a private thing. At one point or another, you need to go public with your decision through water baptism. You need to tell somebody about this decision. I'd encourage you to do as soon as the service is over. But you raising your hand just lets me know. And I think that it's an act of faith that'll give you some boldness and release some faith in you that God is gonna meet with you right now. And I just wanna know, is your brother in Christ so I know who I'm praying with and for today? So if that's you, you're ready to make a decision to follow Jesus. Nobody looking around, I'm not gonna embarrass you. But if that's you, I want you to put your hand up across this room. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down, but I just wanna see your hand. I got you there at the back. Back here at the back too. Anybody else? I need Jesus. I'm away from him. I need to call on him. I got you. I got you. Anybody else? Got it. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thanks. Got it. I'm gonna be praying for you guys. I'm proud of you. Thanks for being bold. Anybody else? 
Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? I know I'm away from God. I don't have any confidence of where I would spend eternity if, if I lost my life today. I, I, I want to have that confidence. Anybody else? Okay. For those few folks that just raise your hand, I want you just to talk to God right there in your chair and just say something like this. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know I can't save myself. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I don't understand that kind of love. It's hard for me to believe that you could forgive all of my mistakes and all of my sin, but in faith, I do believe it. I ask for your forgiveness. Thank you for saving me from my sin, but I thank you, you didn't just come to save me from my sin, you came to give me a purpose. And God, I want that purpose. I wanna live for you. And so I surrender to you as my Lord too. I want you to be the boss. I want you to tell me I don't wanna live the same way I've been living. I wanna repent, I wanna stop and turn away from living for myself or living the way the world wants me to live or anyone else. I wanna learn and grow in an understanding of how you want me to live according to your word, by the leading of your Holy Spirit. God, help me to be connected with other believers, God, that can encourage me and support me and challenge me as I grow in my relationship with you. Thank you for giving me a new life in you today, Father. Father, for us as a church, God, would you please wreck us again or wreck us for the first time? Would you please break us for the loss? Would you help us to have spiritual eyes to see, spiritual ears to hear? And God, would you just allow us the opportunity because God, we wanna be willing. Help us to be willing. And when we're in that place, I thank you, God, you're gonna give us everything we need. You're gonna give us everything we need. But we are asking God, use us, use us, use us. Use us this week, use us this week. And God, would you please help us to draw a lot of people to your name and to your word and to your gospel. Especially during Easter, God, when we know people are open to it, God, we wanna seize the opportunity with urgency with boldness and courage. We thank you for that opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's give God some praise this morning.